Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Comfortable Change. If you're new to this podcast, and welcome back if you've uh, been listening before. I'm joined again today by Susan Brown. She was on our previous episode, too. And we are really excited to be building on a topic that we actually mentioned in our previous episode together. For those of you who haven't listened yet, we talked a little bit about community and nature and how those things can be useful tools in coping with change. So today we're going to be diving a little bit more deeply into the idea of community, not just in its usefulness in dealing with change, but the just many benefits it has on mental health overall. So welcome, Susan. (laughs) Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. Yeah. So the first thing I wanted to kind of touch on, I think we talked about this the other day, is maybe defining what community means. Because I feel like, A, that means something different to everyone, but there's definitely like a solid by the book definition that I think everyone can kind of agree upon. And I actually pulled it up, but did you want to kind of share your thoughts first? For me, community is really any group of people coming together with a common goal or can be connected to location or interests, which is kind of the general idea that we usually have. But because we were looking into this topic more and and diving into it, I wanted to look up the actual definition (laughs) of what is community (laughs) So I I think I'll actually read a little bit of these out loud. I think they're what we normally would expect, but it's interesting to talk about. So one of them is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common, which is basically what I just said, such as the scientific community, a group of people living together in one place, especially one practicing common ownership, like a community of nuns, for example a particular area or place considered together with its inhabitants, like a rural community, a body of nations or states unified by common interests, such as the European community. So you can kind of tell these are like expanding, expanding, expanding to larger scopes. Uh, The people of a district or country considered collectively, especially in the context of social values and responsibilities, like a society, So the example that's given for that one is preparing prisoners for life back in the community. Denoting a worker or resource designed to serve the people of a particular area, community health services. And then there's a couple more. I'm almost done. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that we're, we're going by like the actual dictionary definition. I think it's really helpful. A feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And I would kind of liken that to cultural aspects. The sense of community that organized religion can provide was the example. A similarity or identity, writers who shared a common community of interests. And then technically, joint ownership or liability, a commitment to the community of goods. And then lastly, a group of interdependent, this is an ecology way of looking at it, a group of interdependent organisms of different species growing or living together in a specified habitat. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Communities of a certain kind of bird, for example. Okay. But I like the ecology one because... I feel like they're talking about humanity 
And all of us, all organisms, all our, or in other words, all our relations, all the beings and the planet itself, we are interdependent organisms. And as we were talking in the previous podcast, it's like we forget and we feel separated from each other and we are interdependent. And I like how it says growing or living together. I like the, the, that's a, kind of beautiful feeling of the growing together part. Thoughts on that? <laughs> I know. I, I love that. That definition, I think might be my favorite too, just because it, like you said, it can refer to humanity, but it also is, you know, even more inclusive on a broader scope and kind of connects back to nature too, like how nature is also a part of our community or can be or arguably maybe should be. <laughs> Or is. <laughs> or is. Maybe not, or yeah, maybe and and is, whether we recognize it or not, is probably yes. a better way to, to say yeah, that. Absolutely. I've been thinking a lot about community as it relates to different generations. Because I think, I mean, and maybe I shouldn't skip ahead to that, but I, I guess I just think a lot about how I question, I guess, more specifically, I question do we still have a sense of community today? Like as a, as a society, it's probably a too broad of a question, but I guess you could say like the sense of community is stronger in some countries or in some cultures more than others. Um, sense of community might even be like stronger in some generations than others. Just, I think even technology's played a big role in that. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that, just because I think what I've noticed, at least, at least with like the development of the internet and social media, social media in and of itself is its own type of community. But while it's like inclusive and helpful in many ways, it also like disconnects us in many ways. Um, and I think kind of the more you're online sometimes, the more disconnected and like lonely actually that you feel in real life. So we kind of just keep going back to looking online or streaming or looking at social media or whatever it may be, but I'm going to stop dominating the conversation now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, it's a big, it's a really big topic. And it's like, how do we even narrow it in? I hear you on what you're saying about different cultures, geographies, place and space where people may or may not feel a sense of community or connected to it. That might also equal family in the United States. It's people don't necessarily live in a multi-generational household, for example, whereas other communities, it's that's that's just what you do. But I think what you're really getting at is the question of, is the younger generation coming up and also people who are aging? And I guess anybody and everybody really, are we more isolated through technology? Is it bringing a sense of community in some ways and a lack of community and loneliness in others? So like I might feel a sense of community if I have a TV show that all my friends have watched and we talk about that TV show and we relate about that thing and it's something that weaves in or somebody in the workplace or everybody watches that football game, right? And then there's something where technology can kind of bring us together 
or you watch a good film and you talk about it and you cry together because you're watching this beautiful story, let's say. But when I think technology starts to override our daily living of making present moment connections with the people in our lives, we're not seeing them physically, we're not getting a hug, (laughs) (laughs) or we're just, we're inside the house all day long on a computer or on tech. Yeah, it's absolutely isolating. And then this younger generation, I kind of like point to them a little more specifically because I do know people that are like 16 or 20 that the phone and the, the screen is a huge part of their world. And in some ways, they don't really know how to interact with each other and hold a friendship even unless it's through memes or posts or whatever it is. And then you've got even more extreme examples. So I'm talking for a long time too in response, but there's an example that really stood out to me. I'm in Boulder, Colorado, and we had a shooting where someone who, based off of all the information we've been given, was a very isolated person who would play a lot of violent video games and did that in his spare time and sounds like something just kind of clicked and snapped and he got in his car and drove to our local grocery store and, you know, killed 10 people. In talking with all of the people in, in my community about that and hearing different people's thoughts and considering the positive impact the community has had on my life, I one of the things people like to point the finger at him as a person or his behavior or what happened and they have grief and despair about it, which is natural. But I really want to know, like, what's the solution? One of the things that came to me was, well, well, if this man potentially had had more of a sense of connection and community, or if he went to like, let's say Sunday night dinners with a group of 15 people Every Sunday, let's say, you know, I'm just picking a random idea. Would there have been more personal connection, more support, other people tracking this fellow of like, are they doing okay? Maybe they're not, something's off, or just having the influence of people that care about you and treat you well and that you do things together has a huge impact on who we are way more than I think we give credit for. And I use this person as an example of like, how can we have compassion and how can we understand what what has happened and prevent it in other cases? And I think that because of that loss of community and direct human connection, there's all kinds of stuff like that going on in our world. And then you have incels are another really good example of men who have been rejected by other people and not wanting to have romantic relationships or sexual relationships. And they have become frustrated and they've built this whole community around their frustration, mainly with women. And then a lot of those folks are the folks that also become active shooters too. There's an example of when community is sour and supports these negative ideals of harmful kinds of things. And also like, how can we have positive community that support people in living healthy, good lives? So there's my like 
a million minute monologue. <laughs> um, and I, I think it's happening everywhere. And that's why this is such a huge subject. Absolutely. And I think that kind of gets down to, to like why community is important. I feel like I've said the word community so much already. <laughs> yep. um, but having that like support system, you know, like using the example you gave, actually, the, the guy who kind of sounds like he lived alone and played a lot of video games. And not that video games are inherently bad. I just want to clarify that. But I mean, let's say he even did have maybe like a, a parent or something who would like call to check in on him. Depending on your relationship with your family, that may or may not be a helpful thing. So having a community outside of your family, you know, like your, as, as they say now, right, your chosen family, right? So friends or even maybe a group of coworkers, if you have a positive work environment, having people you can talk to and vent to and get advice from or even look up to, I think that's something that community provides as a way to like cope with the struggles that we deal with and the changes that we deal with on a, a daily basis. So like in that situation, maybe he had a lot of anger or frustrations or maybe even like sadness. I don't know this guy's story, but I'm just kind of thinking of a lot of the types of emotions that trigger people. I think the more that we have people we can talk to, as intimidating as that can be now, because I think people spend so much time online, it can start to feel intimidating. It's actually better to be able to talk to someone in person and gain a different perspective or sometimes just talking about it can help you calm down. There's like all different roles within a community, right? So maybe you have people who are really experienced in one area of life, or maybe are the older generations can kind of like advise the younger generations or the younger generations have like all these great new ideas to improve the community. I think all these things can build a sense of trust. And it, I just feel like that has a really positive effect on like the overall mental health of the individuals as well as like the group at large. But what, what are your thoughts on that? I just want to take a moment to say I've used this person as an example, their story. Well, we don't really know. And I just want to put that out there of that situation prompted me to deepen into what is community and how do we prevent things like that and how do we care for each other and support each other. So I don't necessarily want to talk more about that like person specifically and try to infer as to what their life has been or, yeah. or who they are and who is in their life and, and, and everything. So the word chosen family, I was getting ready for this podcast and that is the one thing I wrote down. <laughs> chosen family because it's used as a little bit of a catchphrase. People are associating it or have connotations with it being part of the LGBTQ plus uh, IA plus community or other communities. And that there's sort of this association with it. However, I think that for all of us, chosen families are really important in terms of what is family and what do we hope family would be? You know, we hope that it would be people that care about us and love us and vice versa and reciprocation and doing fun things together. <laughs> we all have different ideas of what is family. And there's a lot going on in our world with, okay, my biological family happens to be this way. And some of us have really 
beautiful, connected relationships, and some of us don't. And there's so many reasons for that. And there's all kinds of estrangement and and different things that have happened. How can we continue continue to connect with biological family where it's right for us, and then also create chosen family in different ways in our lives and look for those people that we have that reciprocal care and love and compassion for each other. And like you were talking about, Danielle, with like the different generations, when people came to North America, Central America, South America, when colonization happened, a lot of people cut off their ancestry and their families in different ways and have created a new something. And then we also have people that were brought here against their will and that ancestry and descendancy. And then we also have the slaughter and the the murder and everything of indigenous peoples and the continued struggles in all these different communities and the ways that we're trying to heal together. And I know I'm like going way big with that, but when all that cutting happened, whether it's cutting folks off and then creating new cultures in our families here or being brought against will and that getting cut off or the original traditions and and, and things and, and families being broken apart. In North America, in the United States, we've got a severe problem with not honoring our elders and being together in multi-generational experiences. And I think that that is a huge piece is like the more that we all can be together and in multi-generational situations, the better off we'll be in rebuilding and repairing and then, and just being together. And I also um, think that depending on who each individual unique person is and their family and their ancestry and the, the attitudes, it's up to us to heal ourselves and find ways of like being bridges. <laughs> <laughs> and chosen families are a huge part of that. You know, a lot of people will, maybe it'll be their church family or their ceremonial family or their a specific identity, which is where we have the queer community, for example, is a wonderful example of when finding other people who truly understand who you are and being together is powerful and can keep people feeling alive and healthy and connected and supported. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I feel like having a community in which you feel safe with those people has also become increasingly important and maybe has always been important, but I think that's something that that also contributes to like a healthy version of a community because there are certainly types of communities that are not necessarily helpful. As you were talking to, I was just kind of reminded of two songs, actually, because <laughs> what you were talking about, like the different generations again, I think no matter what age you are, you have some kind of wisdom to share. Even if you're not actively sharing it, we can still all like learn from each other no matter what. And there's a really great song, if, if you guys haven't listened to it, called Better People by India Ari. It's really beautiful. So I just want to put that out there. 
I think you mentioned like honoring and like respecting our elders more has kind of become a lost, I don't want to say a lost art, but sort of something we don't really do or value. I think that's something we definitely need to, to bring back for sure. And that's actually the other song I was thinking of is uh, came on Spotify for me the other day is uh, Marjorie by, by Taylor Swift is, is a song about her grandmother and how, um, it's basically an honor for grandmother. And, you know, she's talking about like how she wished she had asked more questions and like written down the recipes her grandma used to cook and all these things. And it's just a very beautiful, beautiful song. And yeah, I, I think there's a lot of ways in which we can start to value that again. But I guess that brings me to my next sort of thought is like, how do we connect? How do we create a community? Because I mean, you don't just go out onto the street and be like, hey, I want a community. Anyone want to join me? <laughs> It'd be yeah. so great if that would work, but I don't think that I don't think that's super effective. Well, I, what you're saying, like, it's super funny. And it's also kind of, I, I have a tendency to go towards the serious most often. And I get teased about this a lot in my life. But <laughs> uh, immediately, I was like laughing, visualizing what you're talking about. And then my mind went to when we have these large events, where we're all there together, and we have these opportunities. And what do we do with them? Whether it's 9-11, or uh, the pandemic. And unfortunately, it's usually catastrophic events that bring people together. Or like times when I have a family member who lived in New York City when there are blackouts. And it's like, everybody comes out and they come together and they care for each other and we're in it. So not to digress too much and go off on a whole nother like big <laughs> subject. But coming back to your question, how do we I think in some ways it starts with a single connection. Like, is it a specific person that you've made a connection with and being curious and learning more about them and the things that they're connected to? And then you find where their communities lie, whether or not you're comfortable with that. You want to explore and take some courage to do that or a specific interest, let's say. So let's say you're. Okay, coming back to like gaming on like a healthy, right? Maybe you're a gamer that's into a specific thing and you get into that and you develop a community by getting connected with a certain person or you go to an event. Things like meetup are fabulous because even though it takes that initial like, ah, I'm uncomfortable, I'm going into a space, <laughs> I don't know anybody. If you allow yourself to have a sense of curiosity and openness of like, I want to connect and I want to meet people or make friends, then I would first ask like, well, what are your interests and who are you already connected to as just like a simple practical way? And then from there, community gets built through your interests. Or maybe you have an interest and... You don't necessarily, okay, like I'm a total 80s geek. <laughs> I'm, an 80s I'm an 80s child over here. And it's like, maybe I want to have a movie night at my house. And I haven't tried something like that. And again, takes courage. Well, okay, let's all watch Back to the Future together, you know? <laughs> Turn it, have a movie night and discuss like the themes or or just do it for fun. And you create community through that interest or that common value or common goal. And a lot of 
coming back to the young people, don't really know how to do that that well. I've, I've seen some of them are great. Some of them are feeling lost and isolated because they're on their phone, right? And the community is the group that they're in that's sending stuff back and forth. But it's this real-time, real connection, conversations, being in person. Not to say that virtual also isn't impactful. I just attended an incredible grief circle yesterday, and there were people from all over the world in that. And it was a beautiful, beautiful experience. At the same time, it's not necessarily the same thing as having that close proximity. I think proximity is also a really big part of it. Like, do you know your neighbor anymore? (laughs) I was going to say me personally. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, or not. Uh, I might not know my neighbors. I recognize them. Honestly, I don't. I live in the city and, you know, I'll see people in my building, but not often. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's a little weird. And I think you're right. It does take like a lot of courage to kind of put yourself out there. I think there's, I want to call it almost like an inherent fear of rejection, you know, because human beings by nature are such social creatures and we kind of all depend on each other to be alive basically. And just like in an evolutionary context. So I think meetup is an awesome place because you can just go to a group of whatever you're interested in. But a lot of us, and I've had this experience too, like I have ideas of like interests or hobbies, or wouldn't it be great if I could get a group of people together to do this or that? But it takes a lot of courage and vulnerability to actually like be the person to put that out there and like invite people in. Because I think we kind of just fear being rejected or being alone or it Maybe we fear it just being awkward. I don't know. What's a catch-22 irony? Because we are inherently social and interdependent. That's why I like that definition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're interdependent. (laughs) We don't like to admit it. We really are. What would happen if the grocery store closed in our modern Western world and in other ways? And, 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 you know, there are also communities where people are farming and self-sustainable and things like that, too. So it's like it takes courage and vulnerability to allow oneself to connect to other people, whether it's individuals or communities and and a genuine like sense of interest and care. Like, okay, maybe there is that neighbor that I wave at sometimes. Maybe I say hi. Maybe I have a deeper conversation one day. Maybe it turns out that mm, I don't quite there's something there that isn't for me and I don't really want to connect with them, you know? Um, And that's okay too. But the the idea that we've, you know, we, we need to continue to reconnect and it does take a sense of like one's own responsibility or to oneself of like, whoa, I am isolated. What do I do? I feel lonely. What do I do? As a therapist, I have a lot of clients that are very isolated Most of them are people with disabilities and their accessibility is to be able to go out and do things is much more challenging for abled people, able-bodied people or whatever the, the situation. So even one friendship, how do I create one deeper friendship? And then from there, can I build? And how do we create a deeper friendship? You know, it starts with something Again, that's like a common interest or a place where we met and it takes effort. 
You have to put in time and energy and effort and care and show up. And then the hope is that it's going to be reciprocated and that you develop that together. And that over time, there's a sense of trust and you can talk about more vulnerable things (laughs) and have more courage. And then you know, hopefully that person will be in your life. And and we can't predict that either. So how do we fill our lives with different kinds of people? It may, maybe you're somebody I just see here and there all the way to like somebody who I'm deeply connected to and having a variety of people like that in our lives. I think that's a good stopping place. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I It kind of is making me think too about like friendship is really like a risk-taking endeavor, um, building friendships and keeping them for that matter. Because you can talk to people, you know, you see at work or, you know, where you live. But like you said, kind of connect, creating deep friendships and like lasting friendships does again, like require that vulnerability and like opening yourself up to potential rejection or like revealing something about yourself that you don't normally talk about in in public. And some people are really open, like wear their heart on their sleeves. They're really seemingly like good at it just naturally. But I feel like a lot of us are have a lot of of like fear of sharing things about ourselves because we're like either afraid no one else will understand or they'll, they won't want to be friends with us anymore if we talk about that or like an experience or something we've done or tried that we feel that we're going to be judged about for, you know, and any number of reasons, but friendship and, and family and community, I feel like all of those things kind of, it does put you in a place where you have to be vulnerable, but there's also like a tremendous reward if you do. Cause I feel like most of the time people are pretty accepting or like, not super judgmental about things, even if they disagree with you or don't share the same, every single value is the same. They're like, oh, well, it's not what I would have done, but that's cool that you did that. You know, something like that. And that being in that vulnerable place builds trust and I think respect. And I think that can be very helpful in dealing with change. It can be very helpful with our mental health. Earlier, I was saying, sometimes I speak in circles, so forgive me if sometimes I get sidetracked and go down these long things and come back. But earlier, I was saying as a catch-22 that we're social interdependent creatures, but now we also are facing this severe isolation and lack of a recognition of our interdependency and isolation and loneliness and I imagine that we used we would survive and thrive in groups, right? Our ancestors, we needed the group. We needed the communities to live. And now we can go to the grocery store. And so I can hide in my house. And now with, you know, delivery too, I could hide in my house for months and months and months and months and months. And no one would ever know necessarily, right? I don't have to depend on the community to survive other than that somebody's delivering my groceries. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Which you're still you're still interdependent whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, it's mm-hmm. like we really are. And how do we come into the fruition and development of like the care and the love that we have for each other? That's what's missing. The emotional and for some people the spiritual or whatever that is. Everybody's different with that one. But that's the catch-22. 
I think that you bringing up the fear of rejection is really important because whether it's the fear of rejection and the pain that comes with that and further isolation, it's like, I don't want to put myself out there because I could be even further isolated and hurt. Yet, like you said, the payoff is much higher and learning about oneself when we are in suffering. The illusion of all of this, you know, I pointed at illusions in the first episode. I'm probably going to point at illusions in all of them. The (laughs) illusion of this is that separation aspect, or really not. And then also the, the illusion of that life, we're trying to get to some goal of perfection or attainment of pure goodness or health or enlightenment or whatever it is when really there are waves of suffering and pain that are part of life and how do we transform and make use and experience our suffering and then when it's too much what do we need to do about it but the illusion is that it's all going to be okay and it's all like we're somehow going to (laughs) arrive And I'm not saying that in a pessimistic or nihilistic sense. I'm really saying that in terms of accepting that we have suffering. We all do. We all feel pain. And how do we care for each other and and love each other and care for oneself? And it's an illusion to think that we are going to get out of that completely because that's it's part of being in a human body. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, being human. (laughs) Yay, being human. So in our humanness, again, love each other, care for each other, even when we're so angry or dysregulated or triggered or whatever, what do we need to do to continue to care for ourselves and each other? So that fear of rejection is natural. And it's like, how do you want to work with that? is the question. There may be some times where you're like, yeah, I can do it. I'll put myself out there. And other times you're like, oh, no way. No, uh uh-uh, I'm not doing it. And that's like, that's going to be unique to each person and and where you're at. I did want to mention, I wanted to, while you were talking about friendship, I have a really good friend who talks about this a lot and they have some sometimes some unconventional ways of being in the world. (laughs) And I I really appreciate them. And one of the things they talk about, which is definitely a minority in our society, is that they value friendship almost over other types of relationships, like a romantic partnership. Most people are like, whoa, no way. My romantic partner comes first, my wife or my husband or my children or my whatever it is, right? This person is like, we don't value friendship at the level that we really ought to because those are the people that often give you care and support where other people would not. They also offer you a lot of freedom to come and go to depending on what the friendship looks like, right? Like what are the expectations of each friendship? That's a whole nother thing. But our friendships, you know, we're usually a lot easier on each other. (laughs) Yeah. Our romantic partnerships were like, we have these, you know, it's like, you got to, you got to meet my attachment needs. You got (laughs) to, you know, there's all this stuff underneath, all this stuff going on, depending on what those look like. But what if we really honored 
our friendships more? You know, what if we looked at that person and went, wow, like, okay, Danielle and I were a good example. We met what? I think in like 2011-ish at this, I'm going to call it the yoga teacher training for simplicity's sake here, but I think that was one of the first places. Yeah. So that was 12 years ago. (laughs) It was a long time ago. And and so it's like, hey, you know, we have this good example, shared interest, shared values in, in, in certain ways, shared experiences. Where they're we're we're doing the same thing, but they're similar. They're similar but different. And then okay, we don't talk for a while, or we don't talk for a couple years, even. And it's like, oh hey, there's that person. I like you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now we're talking about, and now we're like more in each other's lives again, right? We offer each other the freedom to be able to come and go freely and care and be curious and like in some ways unattached. That is really beautiful way of being with each other. And when we can develop that or that's how our friendships are naturally, that's really great. It's when the expectations and attachments get higher that sometimes these issues start to develop. (laughs) Right, right. There's there's nothing wrong with that either. It's just different types of relationships. But to my friend's point, that's what he was getting at. We offer each other this beautiful freedom of like, oh, hey, I haven't talked to you in a couple months or a couple years or and also can talk about deeper subjects. And how beautiful is that? And so when we get to develop a variety, I think is where I keep going, of different types of relationships and even a variety of communities that we are connected into, it can fulfill different aspects of who we are as people. And if you're somebody like me, who's a very like diverse and wide person and interests, that just means being involved in lots of different things, you know, and also at different times in our lives, the diversity of that can change too. And it's okay when things change. Ha ha. Coming back ha, to change. Ha 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 ha. And being like softening around like, yeah, these things change and relationships change. And maybe a friendship changes or a community changes. And as who you who you are as a person and what you're getting and what you're giving. And I would also emphasize that. When, when we shift towards what am I giving, that is in some ways a more fulfilling approach to life. What can I give? And it's also okay when we cannot and we, we just show up to something and we are who we are and we don't have a whole lot of energy to give. That's when we receive. I love all that. I think for sure, like friendship is probably undervalued. I agree with your friend. I 100%, I think I value my friends more than any other type of relationship. Like I I love my family. I love my partner. I appreciate a lot of different people in my life. But I think friendship is, it's like, especially the people who you know will always be there for you. And that sometimes takes time to build, but it's very powerful to, to have those kinds of connections just to help you deal with the craziness of life, I think, and just kind of be able to laugh at it sometimes, take it seriously other times and just kind of work through it together. 
also within communities, when you feel like you can't deal with the feeling of like rejection or that risk taking, like being able to ask for help or ask for assistance in some way is another important aspect. And like having all those different, like a variety of different communities can be like, not only helpful for your, for your mental health, but like just kind of like expand your mind and make you think more deeply and feel more deeply and just see the world differently. And it's just like such a, a, like a rich experience and fulfilling experience to, to have that or create that. Yeah. And it also grants more access to when you do need help, you know, when we can connect into multiple communities Maybe some people aren't able to support if there's something you need, but then some other person in another community can. Being able to ask for help is a hard thing to do. It is the vulnerability aspect again. It's part of what we need and makes us human. And there's a kind of humility and humbleness that comes with that. Having humility and humbleness to ask for help, to show up as your full self, to take risks and talk about things that are uncomfortable, that you might be, you might get rejected. You might. How can I feel safe in certain friendships or communities? And then that's all what, what we're all looking for. Coming back to this highlighting of friendship piece, it doesn't devalue the other relationships either. They're just different relationships. And sometimes we get into this trap of thinking that a person or certain people are supposed to fulfill all of our needs. Mm -hmm. And it's really not helpful. Like my romantic partner should do that, or my dad should do that, or my sister should be this way, or that friend or my best friend, right, should be this and really, that places a lot of, of tension and heaviness in relationships. And I will just kind of come back to what you said, Danielle, of like expanding and expanding your mind, expanding, connecting with all different people. This is like a remedy to all kinds of the issues we're facing in the world. Expanding into having conversations with a person you normally wouldn't like, what does that really mean? What are, what, what kind of stereotypes are you placing on somebody? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> One of the things that I, I really try to do my best to live by and, and, and nobody's perfect is seeing each person as a unique individual with a unique history, family, culture, ancestry, trauma, challenges, beliefs, physical appearance, and then then there's all that stuff underneath gender identity, right? What if we were to really treat each other respectfully as unique individuals and ask each other questions to find out who we really are? Because we just assume so much. And that curiosity then is what develops deeper friendships and and not that the result needs to be a deeper friendship it's just that's what creates bonds and connections and i i did like before we wrap up today there was something that i wanted to bring that's more from like a practical viewpoint is this the the isolation and loneliness you know, sometimes i'll talk to my clients or or people in my life my personal life and they just don't know how to make a friend And I feel really fortunate in my life that 
I had a huge change going from my elementary school into my middle school. I changed towns. I changed schools. I didn't know anybody. So I went from one community to another as a brand spanking new seventh grader. (laughs) (laughs) And it was really difficult and really painful. And I was faced with like, you know, hundreds of kids I didn't know. And previous to that, I had been in the same school and same community, small community, and knew the same people throughout my entire childhood. So they were built-in friends. I didn't have to do anything. (laughs) (laughs) So there I was entering into seventh grade, not a clue how to even talk to somebody. How do you make a friend? Fortunately, my dad at the time um, had some good advice for me and some real basic skills. And he basically just like said to me, (laughs) okay, well, when you're in the classroom, you know, just like watch people or wherever you're at, just watch. And if there's somebody that looks interesting to you, kind of like figure out why. And maybe it's for a certain reason, the way they act or even the way they look, you know, we, we do that. Let's be honest. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then ask them a question. Or pay them a compliment if you feel like it, and then ask them a question. And that's how you start a conversation. And so I started practicing that where I think um, there's <laughs> there's one girl who looked really interesting to me. She seemed really intelligent, really funny, and she was wearing this cool pair of shoes. And so I was like, hey, I like your shoes. you know. And that's how this conversation started with the, the non-threatening, non-confrontational, <laughs> not <laughs> right. surprising that, hey, I like your shoes. Those are cool. And then I had to get used to that. And then next one, hey, where'd you get those? Oh, hey, oh, right on. Uh, oh, do you live around here? Like, well, of course, these are like seventh graders, right? Like, this isn't like somebody trying to pick up somebody. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, like, it's a little different. It's like, it's like, where do you live? Oh, what bus do you take? Oh, what class? Uh, oh, do you like that teacher? You, there's like hundreds of questions built into the context of like, we're just sitting next to each other in a classroom, right? So then ask questions. And what happens is people love it when you ask them questions because they're like, oh, you're interested in me. I don't really know why you're interested in me, but maybe we'll find out. And then that starts to develop where at some point, usually the other person shifts and they go, oh, well, what about you? What's your favorite color? (laughs) (laughs) I love that story. That's amazing. And I I just, it just made me think of my mom always used to say this to me because I, I was very shy growing up. So it was was hard for me to make friends, Um, but she's like, basically what you just said is like, give people compliments or just say hello. And she would always say like, people love to talk about themselves. And so I started trying that and like, it's true. People love talking about themselves, but eventually they, the conversation usually, usually it turns around and they ask you about how you are as well. But like, it doesn't, I guess, have to be a complicated. It doesn't have to be a complicated thing. And then what happens is those, you start to develop deeper subjects, more things about life. You know, it starts with a, Hey, I like your shoes or where'd you get your shoes to getting to know each other you know, where you live, who your family, all that, all these different subjects that we touch in on that are important to us. And then the friendship grows. And and one of my professors at grad school talked a lot about what really develops trust is time and the bonds that happen through time and repair. 
And it's about, okay, so it starts with the shoes, but then over time, now we know each other. Now maybe we've gone to coffee. Now maybe we're hanging out more. And now something is happening in your life. And, you know, we're talking about that. And it's, it's, it's over longer periods of time that we get to know each other and develop that trust and feel like, oh, it's okay for me to share the deeper things, even when I have a fear of rejection. And then maintaining it at whatever level is right to you and the other person or people. And then that also applies to community. How much are you showing up? How much are you committing to? And what feels right to you? And then with the younger people and the 20-year-olds that are on their phones, <laughs> I don't want to say there's anything wrong with it. What I do want to encourage of just like, hey, go hang out in person. And don't let memes be your only interest. I love memes as much as the next person. I think they're <laughs> hilarious, but like you got to develop interests outside of that, my friends. <laughs> Surprise somebody. Call them on the phone. How often are we calling each other on the phone anymore? You know, leave a voicemail, all that stuff. Go super old school and write a letter. So you can totally surprise somebody. <laughs> Just freak them out. Like, what's <laughs> this in my mailbox? <laughs> right? Like, we're joking, but it's true. And how precious and sacred was it to write somebody a letter, you know, or pass a note in a class? <laughs> right, like, right. Uh, or like write so. a thank you note if someone gives you like a present for your, for your birthday or something. Like, it's it's a little thing, but it actually makes a big difference. Yeah. And that's, that's how those connections happen as those ways. What I see we're getting close to our time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I know we've got to wind down, but I'm so happy you joined on again to dive deeper. And Susan and I will actually be doing another episode soon. I couldn't tell you when yet, but it's coming towards you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for more of like, we re we reference a lot of different people and songs and things throughout these podcasts. So you guys can always check out Comfortable Change on Instagram uh, is where I'm going to be posting a lot of this stuff. My email for this, if you guys have any requests or things you want to hear about or talk about or, or learn about, all those kinds of things, you can send that in there. And then I want to just share Susan's website again, so you can learn more about her. It is bouldersamitacounseling.com, which is B-O-U-L-D-E-R-S-E-M-I-T-A-C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G.com. Hey, I feel like I should make that a song. <laughs> And, um, and also I will, I didn't necessarily mention any concrete resources in this episode and I will, uh, send some along that will be, you know, different books and things that you can look at related to building community and friendships. So I'll send a couple of those over and that's that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Susan. And be sure to like subscribe, rate, and review. That always helps out the channel. There's going to be some new guests coming on in the next few months too. So growing our community here too. Hey. <laughs> yes, it's the change community. The change <laughs> community. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm done. All right. I'm done, guys. Have a wonderful time wherever you are. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Comfortable Change, the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. I'm always looking for feedback, so if you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear about, you can reach me at Comfortable Change on Instagram. See you next time.